0: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. And a heads up, this episode contains sensitive content that may be upsetting for some listeners. Please read the warning in the show notes before listening to the episode.
1: It's Mental Health Month, and on this episode today, we're talking about all things mental health. You know, I know, we all know that to be the best version of you, you actually have to be the best version of you. And today's podcast is designed around discussing ways to enhance your mental health. We're going to talk about misconceptions on mental health. We're going to talk about if you've got family members, friends close in your life, that you might be struggling with their mental health. How are we going to deal with that? We're going to give you lots of practical tips around mental health. And the winner here is the discussion that we are having. Don't worry about your money. The money will come. That's coming. Get healthy mentally. Stay healthy mentally. And if you're not, guess what? That's okay. I've shared for years that I've had my own struggles and I'm just walking through this life a day at a time like you are. Now, if you do need help, please reach out to Lifeline on 13 11 14. Today, I'm joined by Glenn Baird, Head of Mental Health at Tau, our show partner. Let's get into it. Okay, G-Squared, what up? Welcome to the podcast, Glenn Baird. Glenn, I like it. Yeah. So, you are the Head of Mental Health at Tau, You have been for five years. Five years, wow. Mm. That's pretty good. And this is like, I say this a lot. A lot of the show partners and partners that we work with, they've got real longevity with key team members. So I don't need you to comment on the culture of Tal, but just looking in, uh, that's some good longevity there.
2: Yeah, look, for me, uh, prior to Tal, I spent 14 years working in suicide prevention, working in the counselling room. And I needed a break from that. And then the opportunity came up at TAL. And look, for me, it was one of those things that at the time I thought, I'll go try a corporate gig for for two years, then I'll go back to the counselling room. And I think, you know, helping one person at a time is great, uh, but it's almost with the reach and impact TAL can have, uh, you know, trying to do things right there was really appealing for me. And yeah, you touched on TAL culture. Um, I won't go too much into that, but look, it's a good place to work. And hence five years. Mm. So, what were the biggest
1: challenges for you? And the reason I want to ask this just to kind of set the scene for our listeners for the show, like suicide prevention, <laughs> that's no easy task or job. So, how do you as, and we've got a lot of people who are in mental health that listen to this, mm. but how do you stay well and healthy yourself
2: when you are on the coalface like that? Yeah, I, I get asked that question a lot. It, it's... um it was hard. Mm. There's no doubt about it. It was hard. Interestingly, it when my kids were born uh, back in, or my first son was born uh, back in 2010. That's when it really started to have an impact even more. Seeing you know people in such a dark hole with kids, and it was really almost like wow, how you must be really struggling to get to that point. Knowing how much I feel for my kids and not wanting to be separated from them or ever be away from them it it really starts to give you some a different perspective and so that that changed for me but look to answer your question um what do i do look i was always pretty good at uh at being active um and, and trying to keep up the exercise funnily enough for me what kind of gives me my my biggest moment of peace is when i'm on the basketball court so you know right now even the last week i had a, a pretty busy day kids are at school and the you know getting out in the driveway and shooting some some shots and just seeing the ball go through the net. It's, uh, it kind of takes me back to the 13-year-old young basketballer aspiring to be Michael Jordan. And that probably gives me my best mental space. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, Fascinating.
1: And just on sport, while we just kind of sprinkle some salt and pepper of your history, yeah, you were in, uh, you've got a background in psychology mm-hmm. and you did a lot with elite sports psychology. Yep. Talk to us about that. Because yeah. I've actually got a question about sports psychology.
2: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, the, look, it was, uh, a journey for me that I had, I did my undergrad, uh, in psych over in the U S and then coming back, wanted to pursue my, my, uh, my dream of playing professional basketball. I did that, played for Canberra cannons for a few seasons. And then the opportunity came up to, um, to work in suicide prevention because I had my, my psych degree behind me. And, uh, and that's uh, that's I just I almost fell into that role, and then uh, working in suicide prevention for a long time. It was then you know I, I want to get connected back in with sport, and and that's when I um, uh, yeah I started to do some consulting, and then um, started a small business that was was doing that, working with uh, sports teams um, and, and programs in, in different parts of Australia with different sports, and trying to work with. Mainly, with aspiring athletes with with young athletes to so for me it was that was a bit of a passion of mine, making sure that athletes had the right mindset because there 's a lot of challenges when you're when you 're a teenager wanting to become an elite athlete because there's only so few that make it mm. um, and I think so much of that is about mindset you know i I remember playing with multiple people that were far better athletes and Basketball players than I was, but mentally the pressure, along with other factors, um, it, it's hard. It mm. is really hard. So that's kind of how I fell into. I, w- I wouldn't say I was a sports psychologist, not by any means. I was more generalist psychologist, just kind of linking with my background of of playing elite sport. Yeah, yeah right.
1: Now I often like think about the psychology and the sport part, and you know, given that you're not a sports psychologist, like in Australia, just over the last couple of weeks we've had the AFL grand final and the mm. NRL grand final mm. and to see two of the most elite teams on the field and both of the finals, the second runner-up team, so the Swans and the Eels, basically fell over. Mm. And I'm thinking, how does that happen? Like, what are the sports psychs saying to these people?
2: Yeah, look, it's uh, there's, there's so much there and, and I think um, preparation is huge in that. Funnily enough, I've, I've been in those shoes um, where I was playing. We had um, playing for the Canberra Gunners, which is the next level down from the NBL at the time. And we had uh, a fantastic season and crumbled and got beat by 35 points in the grand final. And you think you're doing all the right things and the same preparations and, and so on. But there's, I think there's a lot about the uh, supporting one another you know, yeah, I think there's a lot about the team cohesion and the team psychology rather than individual psychology in those moments. Yeah,
1: it's fascinating. But look, what we're going to talk about today, and thanks for just giving us a bit of a background Mm. and uh, indulging me for a moment, but on a day to day, like you did mention moving from the one to one to the one to many, much like I've done with my podcast, like Mm. I was financial advice, you know, one-on-one and now we're doing the podcast. So we're spreading the message of financial health, what are you doing at
2: TAL day-to-day? Yeah, so it's a customer-facing role. So whilst there's an element of looking after our people at TAL, it, it's making sure that we, uh, we're we trying to do the right things by our customers. So to give an example, last week we were doing some training um, or, with our claims teams. So it's, uh, it's one thing, you know, we train them, uh, you know, the basics and understanding around uh, different conditions. So understanding depression, bipolar, um, PTSD, those kind of conditions. Um, but for me, giving our staff an understanding of the condition is not enough. So it's about how do, they, how do they have the right conversation? So let's say, for example, Joe Bloggs is to come on claim for anxiety. Then it's important that we know not only a little bit about the condition, but more importantly, how do we have a conversation with Joe Bloggs to say, to let Joe feel understood to feel heard, to know that he's got a support in in uh, Intel to help him through the claims process. Uh, I think you know. I think Stephen Covey, his fifth habit of highly effective people, seek first to understand and then be understood. I think it's really important that we are starting those conversations and th- those interactions from a place of understanding the customer. So, trying to do a lot of training in that space, not only for our claims teams, but our underwriting teams. Then we have our uh, looking at our our, um, underwriting application questions and how do we refine those to, to again, help understand the mental health conditions that people um, in their past um, that can help us make the right assessment for them. It's looking at um, language that we have in product. Um, One thing that I'm very passionate about is what prevention programs can we put in place? So something really powerful in being able to go to our customers early prior to a claim and not not to get them to be good, to get them to be great. How do we get them to be flourishing or thriving um, and, and have really great mental health? Mm. Um, so it, it really varies on those things.
1: Yeah, awesome. So Glenn, what would you say in your words, and we don't need to get out Wikipedia or Google, but mm. just from you, your own experience and your remit in your professional life is the definition of mental health?
2: Yeah, look, it's a big question that one. Um, for me, I think there's a lot to be said for being socially connected, feeling fulfilled, mm-hmm. feeling as though you've you've got purpose, uh, having goals, feeling as though you're giving back at some level. Yeah, and, and obviously there's got to be some enjoyment in there as well. But you know, for me, it's something that's we use that umbrella term for mental health too often define someone with a mental health condition or a mental illness, um, when really that, that term mental health should be that umbrella term of that it would en- encompass a lot. But at the end of the day, to me, it's a positive thing. And too often it has that negative connotation to it. Oh, that person's got mental health. Well, that to me is not a quite a, an accurate statement. You know, that person might have a mental health condition, nothing wrong with that. But when we think about mental health, we've got to be thinking about the same way we think about physical health, um, that we, we might go to the gym and we don't go to the gym and get fit and then stop. We, we have to keep going. Um, and I think the same thing with, with mental health, we, we need to find the right things that, that can work for us to get us to a good mental state. And then we've got to continue to be proactive in that space to, to keep it up. Mental health in
1: society, it's been big, over the last couple of years, uh, we are talking about it more. There seems to be more. I know the federal governments have put more money into mental health services, particularly through COVID. Any comments on the
2: societal thing of where we're at at the moment from from your point of view? Yeah, definitely. I I find this topic really interesting that there's been more money thrown at it. There's uh, increased access to services, even though there are many waiting periods for, to see a psychologist and then even longer waiting periods to see a psychiatrist. But yet we've got more awareness than ever. Um, and like as an example, TAL, it's mental health claims have now taken over as our number one cause of claim. And it, I just find that it really interesting given that we've got more awareness than ever. We've got more people accessing services, which is a good thing. But yet yeah, we've got the most mental health claims we've ever had. So for me, I, um, I think there's more needed now. Like we've got, had so much awareness around it, which is fantastic, as I said, but now it's got to come down to what's really starting to make a difference. We hear so much about, you know, oh, um, you know, do mindfulness or, or, or get some exercise or be socially connected, which are really important things. And I love those things and I'll absolutely promote those things. But, you know, for the person that, them is go back to Joe blogs. He is being told to do mindfulness and exercise and stay socially connected. He's doing all those things, but yet he goes to work and he's really feeling the pinch Mm. and there's a lot of pressure at work, potentially even some workplace bullying. You know, that that puts Joe in a really tough spot, Uh, even though he's doing all the right things for his mental health, but there's other factors that that contribute.
1: I've seen Uh, partly because I'm addicted to my phone, partly because (laughs) I'm on Instagram and all that stuff and everyone's online, all this stuff. And you've seen the photos of people like laying on the beach and they've just said like, oh, I've taken the day, a mental health day. And for me and my broader team, and I won't signal any individuals out, uh, not sharing state secrets. We had a good discussion around mental health days at Uh, when we were in Nashville because we went to the conference and then we did a debrief and we were talking about mental health days and what I kind of distilled was and I I wanted to be very clear with my team from an employer, okay? I would never expect anyone to work if they're unwell. So if you can not work because you're unwell, you call in sick. You don't need – and for everyone listening – there's no obligation for you to tell your employer why you're calling in sick. So, that's number one. Mm. But we got to the the crux of this and it, when you shared your example earlier, it got me thinking like, if you're needing the quote-unquote mental health day from work because work is a pinch and you're under the pump 25-8 from work, mm. as an employer, I need to know because that's a big problem. Absolutely. And it's it's not a reflection on your mental health. It's actually a reflection on the culture, the company, the workload. I guess I'm just saying this as a bit of an outlet, <laughs> bouncing mm. it off someone like mm. yourself. Like if you can't work, you're sick, you don't need to tell your boss or your employer why you're not know at work. But it's a bigger issue if the workplace is
2: causing you issues with your mental health. Mm. Yeah, look, it's a really interesting topic, and I, and I actually I'm glad you brought that up. It's um, for me, I love in principle the idea of a mental health day, but in practice, I think it, it it becomes a lot harder. I think you're right with when it comes to a sick day, if you're unwell, you're unwell, and it would be great if mental health conditions or a, a, a poor mental health. Uh, episode, whatever it might be, was seen the same way as a flu or a cold, whatever it might be, and therefore, hey, I'm struggling today. Um, me and my partner had a fight last night, and I, I just need some time out. I'd love it to get to that point because you know I think that the benefits of having that flexibility um, to be able to say that to an employer, for one, says a lot that you you've got the courage to do that. You've got a supportive ear in your employer, um, and. I would think that 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 sends a powerful message and injection into positive culture in the, in the organization.
1: Yeah, because for me from the employer point of view it is a bigger issue if the workplace is causing illness. Like, you know, we provide safety masks for builders who yeah. cut up MDF. Yeah. Like how is it any different like if if someone had to take a day off every fortnight due to a cough <laughs> that was caused by the timber mill, alarm bells should be going off. So, if you need to take a mental health day off once a fortnight because of the workplace, for me, that's no different. Mm. And I just really wanted to call out for everyone listening that just step back and just have a look and it may be a bigger career discussion and we can lead into bloody reactive depression, right? Like, I, I suffered from that uh, with the business that I was in. hmm and it was really getting me down, went to a psychologist. Yeah. We had a chat.
2: Yeah.
1: And he actually said to me, and it was that third-party thing, he said, oh, seems like your business goals aren't aligned there. And I'm like, oh, you're right. Yeah, <laughs> wow. So I called up, ended the the business within a matter of days that a reactive depression had left the building yeah. because that weight had lifted off me.
2: Yeah. So, yeah, that, that, that um, being able to use... Sykes counselors as a sounding board for exactly that type of reason is it's gold, and you know for me i would love to see us um, you, you know being more- you know I know a lot of businesses out there have employee assistance programs be great to see them utilize more, not just for that um oh this issue's come up, I need to talk to someone. Purely just as a, almost like a yearly check-in, mm. six-monthly check-in. Hey, I'm just, you get a few appointments a year. Yeah, use that for, to be proactive and and just use them as a sounding board for a sounding board for things that are happening in your life. Yeah. So if you are listening and you are thinking, oh, I wonder what my workplace
1: policy is around leave and whatnot, just ask the question. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So just in terms of clarity with, you know, cause I just think the workplace thing, it's so huge because we spend so much time at work. mm So let's move on to some myths about mental health and misconceptions, and we're going to talk about some tips as well, but we are going to do that right
0: after the break. So hang around, Glenn. plushcare.com slash weight loss.
1: Okay, G squared, we're back. (laughs) G squared coming at you. Okay, let's talk about myths and misconceptions on mental health. Do you have any kind of like bugbears that are like always front of mind when you are talking to internal team and to customers?
2: Definitely. Uh, The terminology, the language we use, um, like I said earlier, that person's got mental health. Uh, I hate that. Hate that term. Um, the uh, it, some of the myths around mental health that you know it's a, it's a permanent that you know once you've got um, a mental health condition that's it you've got that for life um, there you know and it can be episodic it can be a one off um, episode of depression for example and, and never again. There's the uh, it's a sign of weakness that people might not be able to perform as well. We need to maybe pull back on their duties. You know, I think that's about a conversation with the person uh, about what what would be useful for them. Some people find, you know, when they've been diagnosed with a condition, um, that keeping work exactly as it was is the best thing for them to keep them occupied, to keep them focused, to keep them challenged. You know, that can be really good for a person um, that might be struggling, depending on what the the factors mm. are that's that's led the person to develop the condition. Um, we often, you know, hear uh, that oh, it's it's rare. Um, we had the the ABS data that came out back in July that talked to, you know, the, the consistently it, it's it's about one in five people um, will have a mental health condition, and uh, it's close to fifty percent at some point in their life. Uh, fifty percent of people at some point in their life will develop a condition. Seems like the common denominator is you're human. Exactly right. And life happens. Life happens, We are a illogical bag of chemicals. Yeah, absolutely. When I think about what's what's happening for a person, um, you know, relationship breakdown, uh, moving house, illness, um, injury, uh, job demand, being fired, thinking you're moving into something that's uh, meeting your purpose and new role or something and it turns out to be really frustrating and stressful for you. As you said, life happens, and I think uh, we need to get to a point where we understand that everyone will be impacted by a mental health condition at some point in their life. Uh, For example, a person, let's say Joe Bloggs, I've referred to to Joe a few times, um, but Joe Bloggs is, um, is married at home. He might be going through a mental health condition. There is no doubt that will impact his partner, no doubt and you know, what that will mean for his kids. Um, there's what's called the, the spillover and, and, and crossover model um, when it comes to kind of uh, work and what we do in one domain from personal life or, or professional life will carry into the other uh, when there's some some negative impact. So like job demands, um, lack of autonomy, those kind of things, we know that can spill over into the home or into, into the other domain, for example. Um, but there's protective factors too. From one domain to another, so yeah, I I think that's also um, when we talk about how common it is. Everyone, I think, will be impacted at some point.
1: Yeah, Mm. yeah, it's wild. Now, do you have any tips to enhance one's mental health?
2: Look, I'm I'm huge on social connections. Mm. Working in suicide prevention for fourteen years, I dealt with a lot of people that were at rock bottom and often the thing that was pulling them out was it was connected somehow to a relationship to a connection with a person um and it was it was the i guess leverage that we would draw upon often to you know leveraging those relationships to to help, to help, you know, what would, um, how might things be different when, you know, when, uh, as you start to improve, how might your relationship be different with X person? Uh, what would you notice about that? How would, how would you like things to be? Um, that was kind of, you know, instilling a bit more hope, uh, and optimism into that. And I'm, I'm, I'm trying to simplify a very complex mm. process here. but that was uh, the relationships are important for me they're, they're absolutely key. But it, to summarize it well, um, the new economics Foundation out of the UK, they looked at research across the world uh, about what works for for people and what they found universally, which was um, to improve our mental well-being, staying active, uh, remain socially connected, give back to others, Continue learning and take notice or be mindful. Mm. Now, those five ways to well being. I'll get you to repeat them once more. Yeah. uh, They were staying active, staying socially connected, give back to others, continue learning and take notice or be mindful. Mm. Now, for me, every one of them represents a a different aspect of well being. So, the If we think about exercise activity, we know the research and evidence has been there for many, many years, the benefits that that can have on uh, on our, our mental health, the staying connected, you know, the, the relationships are important. Uh, Tony Robbins uh, has a quote, the quality of your life is the quality of your relationships. And I love that quote. Um, so we need to invest in our relationships because they mean so much to us and, they, and we can leverage so much from those. Um, giving back to other people. And that can be really simple, you know, saying please and thank you, um, being proactive about it, um, trying to, you know, it's great to when the when the bucket comes around and say, will you donate to X charity? You know, that can be great. That's more of a reactive give back. If we can find ways to proactively give back. Um, for me, my way of doing that is, is basketball. I had a lot of coaches invest in me in my time. Uh, I love coaching uh, basketball. It really makes me feel like I'm giving back to um, to, the, to the youth. Um, continue learning. Um, one thing that probably never really stood out to me on this one, as an example, during COVID, I thought, okay, I need to put some of this in practice. What can I learn? What can I do? I was pretty rubbish in the kitchen away from a barbecue. Uh, I felt comfortable in front of a barbecue, anything in the kitchen, I felt a bit a bit foreign. Um, so learning new recipes for me was, a uh, in, in lockdown was great. You know, learning to make a musselman beef curry or, uh, lasagna, you know, for me now, I love that challenge. Now there was some trial and error there. I'm not going to lie. I wasn't great at it at the start, but I got there. Um, and then the last one was, uh, was taking notice or being mindful. I, I think this is often misunderstood and probably seen as a bit fluffy, uh, but I love, You know, so for me, I use an app called Smiling Mind. I'm a huge supporter of Smiling Mind. I use that app uh, with my kids. We lay on the bedroom floor and and do some mindfulness. Uh, We know the benefits of uh, emotional regulation, emotional management. So we're able to respond a bit more effectively rather than react, I guess, to to things that might come our way. But there's other ways to get mindful moments. You know, for me, I talked before about um, getting in the driveway and and seeing the ball go through the hoop, you know, as as my kind of mental moment, uh, my mindful moment. That that uh, is key, but people might get that from playing in the guitar, being in the kitchen, gardening, range of different things where you can kind of have a mindfulness moment, listening to music. So yeah, I think those they're pretty simple, right? They're 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 really easy to do, but we and I guess they're fundamental to to improve well being. We all know them, but we probably don't all, don't all do them enough. But that's
1: like human nature, right? Absolutely, like it's about picking the one percenters. That's right hey you talked there about you know some of these top tips right and we will share some of the things from the Facebook group because I think they were really valuable mm. but I, I loved those five things being active being connected giving continue learning and being aware basically yeah, yeah. I want to probably just add while we can just from my own personal experience I've been vocal uh, on this podcast in the past that I am medicated and I have been for some time, mm-hmm. I did try and come off that medication a couple of years ago um, just to see, you know, if I was through a period or whatever, but it became quite apparent that I was a big heap of dirt without medication, like right. I literally can't function. Yeah. Well, wow. um, so I've resolved I'm on it, you know, forevermore. Amen. Yep. Uh, and I, I didn't rush to medication. I did all the therapy and all that first. And, mm. It just, it did become apparent that I needed that. Uh, So I'm on a daily dose of Effexor and that doesn't mean everyone needs Effexor. It's just someone might be taking it. And if you are, what up? You're my people. But like (laughs) speak to your um, GP, but from what I've learned, just some practical tips. With my own mental health, no big decisions if you're in a hole. Mm, Absolutely. We are not making... Big life decisions, career decisions, no big decisions if you're in a hole because that will take some pressure off in the moment and it'll be better for your decisions anyway. (laughs) Those are two things, right? And then I would also say like you talked about – I think you mentioned like moving house before. Like in your life to get the optimum clarity, like don't book in a pay rise discussion with your boss or – if you've got an exam coming up, don't move house the weekend before. Absolutely. Try and have some stability Mm. in your life before some big key events. Yeah. Because for me, all these one percenters are to try and maintain balance and, you know, I'm holding my arm like a plane. Yeah, I love
2: what you're saying there, Glenn. I think that's so important because often I had clients that would be really struggling with anxiety Mm. and establishing boundaries to create some control Mm when you feel more in control, you can be more proactive and you can actually minimize some of those things that start to impact and pull down on those, you know, from those 1%.
1: That's right. So that's, I've just kind of really tried in my own life to optimize all these little things Mm. because then it all adds up to, oh, I live in relative peace. Yeah. Um, And then the the other thing, you talked about your basketball in the yard, Mm. find your thing. So for me, there is no better therapy in the world than getting out on my boat. Yeah, right. My phone's away. You know, I love that quote, do something that doesn't involve you needing your phone. (laughs) Yeah. Whether that's hiking, whether it's gardening, whether that's hand gliding, whether it's boating, given I'm privileged enough to have a boat, Mm. but I've got a kayak as well. As long as I'm out on the water in nature and life, that is my thing. Mm. And for me, that's really important. And I can speak on behalf of my friends. Uh, We've got a group chat on um, iMessage and there's like seven or eight of us in there. I can guarantee you that group chat of that connectiveness is therapy for some of the guys in the group. Oh, no doubt. Straight up. Yeah. So find your people, find your thing, set your boundaries and control what you can control and don't apologize for saying, you know what, I do want to discuss my working arrangements, but can we do that next week? Cause I'm moving house the week before yeah. and I just need some control yeah. or some stability in my life. So I can give you
2: my hundred percent attention. I love what you're saying there, especially about the, the the boat. Like I'm curious to know when you're out there, you know, it's an activity that a lot of people when they're on their boat, they may not get the same benefit that you do. And, I, and I, dare I say, Maybe incorrectly, but dare I say maybe because they're not focusing on the right things at the time. Um, and so I'm curious to know when you are on the boat. Well, like what are the what are the focus areas for you? you? You don't have your phone with you, but you've got to really be drawn into something. So you've got to be looking out for. Are you a fisherman? Do you catch fish when you fish? Do you? Well, okay, you're not cause I, I, I <laughs> got a fish. because I've got an eighty dollar <laughs> rod for
1: VCF. Sure, I'm a fisherman. <laughs> yeah, there you go. No, but I think. You touched on it earlier with your um, basketball thing. When I was in my mid-teens, and we know our teens are a very influential time in our lives. Mm. So, my uncle had a boat. I grew up on the water. And there was just nothing that gave me more joy than being on the water. So, when I'm back out on the water now, in psychology, I think they talk about the inner in man or inner woman, yeah. like that yeah. child thing in you. There's just something so deep in me that is lit up. Yeah. And there's not a care in the world. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, it costs six hundred dollars to fill the bastard up, <laughs> but other than that, yeah, like yeah. I'm in heaven, yeah. and that's the therapy. Yeah. That's worth more than sitting down with somebody and telling them my problems. Yeah, in like there's a reason and times for everything, of course. But on balance, that's awesome therapy because I'm out there with people, so that connectiveness, mm. and it's awesome.
2: Yeah, and people get you know people get that from a variety of different things, you know, whether it be motorbike riding, going for exercise, a variety of different things. But you what you said before I think is is, is gold. You find your people, find your thing. Mm. Um that can go a long way. I wanna move before we talk um about family members and
1: loved ones and whatnot, mm. you seem like you're pretty agile with your thinking. I wanna do something now. Because every time I pick up this microphone, I want to kind of do three things. I want to be practical, I want to add value, and I want to be fun. Hmm. So we've had a bit of fun with some of the crap. Yep, We've added some value with some thought things. But I want to now touch the practical thing. Mm -hmm. So you can see this little spectrum that I've drawn. Okay, yeah, just. Yeah, it's crap. It's like (laughs) I've done these hyphens and pipes. So I think there's actually a spectrum of mental health from my view. Okay, And I want to get some practical tips of what to do right now if you fall in one of these categories.
2: Oh, okay. I think I
1: see where you're going. Yeah. If someone's been in a hole for many months, you know you're not right. I'm, my mood's really off whack. I feel that I've lost. And for me, I know I'm in a dark place when I've lost that hope, but mm-hmm. I feel like, meh. So if someone is not critical but are in a hole, what can they do? A
2: few different things there. I would, yeah, I'd first think about making an appointment with a GP. Awesome. A lot of that, I mean, the, getting help, I think, it, it, really, that's that's what it comes down to. There's professionals that, that go to university and study to, to be able to support people and there's a science behind it. So I think getting help is first and foremost. Um, the. But then it's it's also thinking about what what small steps? To me, if I think about you know that person, like hypothetically, let's say, on a scale of one to ten, let's assume that maybe they're sitting in that three to five range. Uh, to me, let's say they're sitting at a three. It's about thinking about what might be different if tomorrow things were a three point five. Mm. It's not thinking about what do I need to do to get to a ten. It's too hard. It's too big. I remember working with a gentleman that was experiencing depression. He was finding it really tough. He'd get to his appointments. He'd come and see me regularly. But outside that, he couldn't really get out of the house. And he, he was really struggling. He wasn't working at the time. He was really struggling. And for him, he had a previous very active lifestyle. And part of the um, the things he was talking about, he wanted to get back to his, his activity. He knew how much that was valuable to him. It was his thing. And one of the small things that I said to him I said, next time you, you go out and collect the mail, all I want you to do is just collect the mail with your runners on. Mm. That's all. Just put your runners on to go out and get the mail. I said, when you get to the mailbox, if you feel like it, you don't have to, but if you feel like it, just walk to the end of the street and back. That's all. And just trying to take that small step. And uh, he came back a fortnight later and he had started doing runs around the block. Mm. Not, not nowhere near what he was, but he started doing those small steps and I think it was allowing him to give that permission. Okay. Well, that's okay. I don't have to be running eight K's, 10 K's. I can run a kilometer and I know that's progress. So I think it's about, you know, the, what's the small thing you can do, um, that's going to make a difference? You know, is it going to be uh, reach out to a friend you haven't spoken to in a while and just catch up for a coffee? Um, It's about the small things to me that that start to make the difference. Yeah, awesome.
1: Now, the last two in the Glenn James spectrum of life, (laughs) um, you're pretty good, you're going well, Uh but you have the odd trigger point that really sets you off. Or I'm not talking clinically triggered, or anything like that, but more about, oh, I get really anxious before this happens or that event that comes up once a month, I get depression before, or just something that's I'm good, but the odd thing, there's something not right. Is that just a GP thing or is it more of these leaning into the five categories first for a couple of
2: months? Yeah, definitely leaning into those uh, five ways to wellbeing would be a good start. Um, this is where I think the use of of a psychologist or a counsellor could be really useful here. One thing, as an example, at TAL, we have uh, our employee assistance program. We have it where we have the, the normal counselling that's available to all our staff, um, but there's also a wellbeing coaching service. And to me, if I was to relate that to a physical injury, I'd think, okay, you go to the physio to help your injury, but you go to say a masseuse to kind of keep your body feeling okay, mm. feeling good. Mm. That's to me that masseuse is almost like the well-being coaching comparison, I guess. I'm not sure if that really, people understand where my head's at there, yeah, but, but I yeah. I think
1: like, yeah, if you're otherwise well, and you've got this odd thing, I remember a couple of years ago just before COVID, cause I can, I'm like a kind of good at critical thinking mm-hmm. and sometimes I can think out of a situation. I got in this thought loop where I couldn't think out of it just with like, oh, I'm doing this, but it was just I don't even, don't even remember the, what the situation was, but usually I'm pragmatic enough to think and build my way out of it. I got to the point was like, I need to unpack this with someone else. Hmm. I'm not like, I'm fine, but it was just more of this, hey, can I just unpack this with you and get a third party view on this specific thing? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Okay. So, GP and maybe some talk therapy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yep. The last category is I'm 100% awesome and well and there's no uh, adverse mental health issues in my life. There haven't been ever. I'm all good. I'm thinking doubling down on the five things, yep. but also that giving part. Absolutely. Like I tell people, like don't give to charity if you're trying to feed your family not your time to give but if you are empty mentally and emotionally yeah. you can't give out Yep. but if you're going really well can you send those encouraging messages can and i'm not talking about giving and like volunteering all that but more of this mindset of i'm going to check in on all my friends
2: absolutely the um went for those people there's um in, po- in positive psychology there's a model called perma and this was developed by martin seligman who was the President of the American Psychological Society uh, Association, I should say. I think I might have got that right. Um, he had a model called PERMA. In positive psychology, is a model called PERMA. PERMA is positive emotion, engagement, relationships, meaning, and accomplishments. And spending time on each of those. You know, what what's um, what gives you positive emotion? What is it? You know, being out on the water. For example, what activities are you doing where you're getting those um, feeling extremely engaged uh, and almost where time flies by? You know, obviously going back to relationships, that's one. Uh, meaning is huge in that, and then celebrating accomplishments. Um, I think they're the things. It's it's about what we can do to. It shouldn't be about it. Almost like a, a defense. You're playing defense when you're up, up. At, you know, at a. Uh, go back to that scale I referred to, you know, maybe eight, nine, 10. It's not about playing defense and stopping you from going down. It's about, I think it's about playing offense. And, you know, how do I get to an 11? Mm. How do I get to a 12? Mm. Uh, by, again, doubling down on some of those five ways to well-being. But, um, but yeah, I think giving back is um, it's huge. It's huge.
1: Yeah. yeah. Hey, if someone has concern about family members, loved ones, or colleagues that may be struggling with their mental health – how do we attack this? Because we get a lot of questions like, oh, my friends are really crap with money. Like, how do I help them? And it's like, well, unless they're asking for help, you mm. can't push a rope. Mm. But there could be more on the line with someone's mental health.
2: Absolutely. The, it's, um, it's tricky, you know, because it's hard, especially, you know, the closer the relationship uh, and if there's a resistance to seeking help, it, it, it does become difficult. I'm a firm believer in being honest and transparent about those conversations, uh, even though they're really hard to do. Um, but you have to be upfront and honest. So for me, it's a simple kind of formula of state the reasons for asking, or simple process, state the reasons for asking and then ask. So if I'm concerned about Joe Blogs, it's, uh, hey, Joe, I've noticed over the past... Couple of weeks that you know you're not coming out on the boat with us anymore, or you know we we're going to the gym pretty regularly. You're not, I'm not seeing you there anymore, and you just seem a little bit more irritable, mate. Is is everything okay? Um, that's very different to the Hey Joe, are you okay? So you're creating the context of why, and it's mm-hmm. harder for Joe to back out of that scenario if we're studying the reasons why we're asking, and then we ask. So first of all, I'd call out the behaviour that's concerned for us um and then but it's got to be done respectfully mm. I, I think that's you know often those conversations happen when there's a bit of heat in the in the relationship or in the in the environment um and i think you that's probably possibly probably the wrong time to be doing that mm. um I, I think you've you know a bit of respect a bit of dignity um that the person might be struggling um but also knowing that you know it's about finding the right service at the right time. So what service can, you know, when do I have that conversation? Do I have that conversation um, when they're getting ready for for work, um, about to walk out the door, or do I have that conversation when you know we're finished dinner, we've cleaned up, or, or we're out having a beer at a pub, or you know, I think it's got to be the right environment to to be raising that. If someone's in a relationship and
1: they categorically know something not right with their spousal partner and the spousal partner is reluctant to seek help either with a subtle, Hey, I'm here. I'm happy to go with you or, yep. or whatever that is. Yep. Would you advise that the spousal partner that has concerns go to a session themselves to ask for tools specific to that situation?
2: That can absolutely be useful. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, and I think there's a bit of self-reflection there because, no doubt, there's probably something that the that the spouse might be doing that may be either fueling uh, or contributing to. I think it's important that we um, we're acknowledging the kind of the system in, in which, especially at home, in the home environment, uh, about what we might be doing that we're not aware of that could be contributing or fueling, yeah, the, the, a person's mental state.
1: Now, in finishing, is there anything that
2: you haven't said that you'd like to say? Yes, there is something I'd want to say. It's the link between the financial health oh, and, and mental health. Oh, baby! Yeah, yeah. It's um, I, I think that yeah. that's a key part of health when we think about health holistically. You know, there's there's our physical health, there's our mental health, there's our financial health, um, there's our spiritual health. Uh, so there's a range of different things or aspects we need to consider when it comes to health. Uh, and they all, they all cross each other. It's bloody tough being human. Oh. I'm over it, honestly. <laughs> Don't be over it yet. <laughs> yeah,
1: no, it, it, it's hard. No, i so, like, brush my teeth twice a day. I've got to like,
2: anyway. So the, uh, yeah, look, for me, it's the link between the uh, the financial health and mental health and, and not only I'm guessing the messages that you send out to, to many is, is about being in charge, being on top of your money um, and making the right choices. And I think those right choices that you're making for your money will highly likely have flow effects to the improvement in well being. I've got a quick
1: idea. We're here now talking about financial health. Shoot. If you're in a bad financial situation – Without a doubt, it can lead to the reactive depression stuff that I talked about. Absolutely, Because if you're in a situation where you're in an absolute financial stressful environment now, you need to press reset on your life and your money. Now, I want you to get a pen and paper or in my book, a lot of you have the book, there's that pyramid around our spending. You need to prioritize food, shelter, transportation, clothing, baseline living expenses. Then once they've been met, then you can look at other stuff. If you've got credit card bills, if you've got stuff that's overdue, tell the credit card company to get stuffed for 10 minutes. Be proactive and call them and say, hey, we're in a pinch here. I can't pay the minimum this month. Mm. I can next month because there's so much stuff that – and this is why I don't apologize in my life for a lot of stuff – There's no way I want you to be feeling depressed or anxious over your money situation because you don't have enough money for food for your family if you just paid $150 to the credit card bill. Mm. Tell them to get stuffed as far as I'm concerned. Mm. And it's being able to have those right conversations. Mm. And it's just being honest and proactive. If you know that you've got a situation coming up and it could be a bit of a pinch financially, all our payments on minimum payments, put your mortgage on minimum payments, put the car payment, no extra payments anywhere, then go back and prioritize your budget in primitive fashion. Food, rent, electricity bills, all that stuff first. Then you can start to send money to people that you owe money to.
2: It's getting organized. They that, that can reduce anxiety in a big way, being mm. organized.
1: Yeah. yeah, totally. Let's just finish with two or three comments from our community. I asked, what positive things have you changed in your life to manage your own mental health? Now, I will say, I might actually record, because there was like over 100 of these in the group. Right. I might record another bonus episode and just read out everyone's thing so everyone can just listen to them. Mm. It'll be like an audiobook by Glenn James without me getting paid for it. Um, Clara Riddle. Deciding to enroll our kids in childcare. I'm a stay-at-home mum with a business to run, a brilliant investment for my mental health and happiness.
2: Absolutely. So that that was Time out and focus time.
1: Eden Tahor, if that's how I pronounce your surname. I think people don't realize how much they can curate and control their own social media. Turning off push notifications, unfollowing pages and people that no longer serve where you're at are all good ways of taking care of your own mental health for sure. Absolutely. So I've got this philosophy, I control my phone, it doesn't control me. All the banners, all the push notifications, mm. they're all off. If I get an email, I don't get a little one number thing, I'll know when I've got an email when I open the app. Mm. The only notifications are on is the messages, I get a little number there, I don't get the banners and all that stuff. Or push if someone likes a photo on my Instagram... Who gives a crap? I'll see it when I open it. Yep. Like all notifications are off.
2: Absolutely. I think yeah, that's limiting the intake, and, and that's it's a really good tip. Uh, I, I'm not sure about you, but for me during COVID, when the each day we're getting told the case numbers, mm. you know, after a month, I'm like, I'm done with this. Mm. This is this is just every day at eleven o'clock. This brings me down. Mm. I, I'm shutting that out, and uh, yeah, it's just limiting that. That uh, stuff coming in is important to do.
1: Not going to lie. I got a bit of a dopamine hit at 11 a.m.
2: For me, it was the opposite.
1: (laughs) Jess Duffy, controversial, but I quit my high-paying office job that I hated Mm. and started working in a vineyard. I'm now studying to be a winemaker. Best decision
2: I've ever made. That's awesome. That is awesome. It goes back to the, uh, that meaning that you talk about in that um, PERMA model. Mm. Um, yeah, when you get meaning out of what you do, yeah, that, that's awesome. Mm. Well done. And I'll finish with this one. And I haven't read all the long ones, everyone, because
1: I can't read long bodies of text. <laughs> if you've heard my audiobook, it's a wild ride. <laughs> <laughs> Kira McNamara, I started setting boundaries with people. Those who didn't respect those boundaries are no longer in my life. Keeping my circle tight has meant less energy dealing with negative relationships and situations and more time to spend with those whose company I
2: genuinely enjoy. Setting boundaries, it's gold. Oh. It really is. And then it just talked about the circle of people in your life that comes down to those relationships. Um, social connection has been so much. And if you've got the right people there, that's, that's where you get the most benefit. But well done, again, for setting boundaries because that's not easy no it's hard to set boundaries and cut people out but it's worth it absolutely it's not easy but it's worth it mm. I'll finish by saying
1: first port of call please go and see your GP if it's critical please call Lifeline the number is 14 and we'll put a link in the show notes to that Glenn Baird Head of Mental Health at Tau thank you so much for joining us today
2: for this discussion thank you I enjoy being being part of Glenn Squared love it G2
0: out only from rustolium